So Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida and all-American hero, has done something really important this week, and it's easy to miss because it's kind of a complicated political maneuver. Um, And I wanted to talk about this. It's related to his ongoing battle with Disney, the magnificent, enormous corporation that's trying to trans your kids, right? Um, They've been in this fight over the parents' rights bill, this so-called don't say gay that the left has been painting as if they're, you know, outlawing talking about homosexuality, when really what DeSantis and his legislature are trying to do is they're trying to keep public school teachers from talking to kids about incredibly delicate and sensitive sexual matters without the permission of their parents and before they're ready to hear about it. So Disney got into this because, you know, they they were sort of trying to throw their weight around to pressure DeSantis out of, uh, you know, supporting this bill to pressure the legislature out of passing the bill. Obviously, Disney, you know, major, major driver of uh, sales and money and tax revenue in Florida, uh, Disneyland or Disney World. Sorry, I always get confused, but Disney World is out in Orlando. Um, And meanwhile, it came out because of the reporting of the journalist Chris Rufo. uh, You guys probably saw this, that they're having these meetings among high level executives at Disney where they're talking about how they need to put more and more LGBTQIA plus plus content so that kids get used to seeing, you know, that, you know, two men can be fathers or whatever. Um, And and the content of what they're teaching, while that's important, is is less important than the principle at stake, which is do parents have a right to raise their children and to people who are not children's parents have a right to take kids away from their parents and say, you know, your parents don't want you to know this, but what you've been talking about sex and gender is wrong. Boys can be girls, girls can be boys. So this is the fight that's going on between DeSantis, governor of Florida and Disney, one of the biggest corporations in America. And DeSantis made an announcement at a press conference recently about how he's going to fight back. Um, So I want to play this clip. And then I want to explain why this is important, because if you don't know what's going on, it can be easy to miss. Let's play this clip of DeSantis at his press conference. I'd also like to make another announcement before we get into the subject of today's program. I think, as many of you know, the Florida legislature is meeting this week uh, to consider the congressional reapportionment plan for Florida for the next 10 years. uh, And that is what they've been called upon to do. But I am announcing today that we are expanding the call of what they are going to be considering this week. And so, yes, they will be considering the congressional map, but they also will be considering termination of all special districts that were enacted in Florida prior to 1968, and that includes the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And you hear people applauding for that. I think if you were just you know, listening to it, you might, if, you, if you're not a Floridian, if you're not a policy wonk, you might think, what? Reedy Creek Improvement District, what, what is going on? And, and he doesn't really explain it in that clip, but what he is describing is the fact, and I did not know this until this controversy started getting going, Disney has its effectively its own government carved out within the state of Florida, a county government called the Reedy Creek Improvement District. It's sort of like a, um, it's like a, a an Indian reservation, basically, where they get to run things according to their own rules. They can have their own police force um, and all sorts of things that have been given to them by the state of Florida. And so the reason I want to talk about this is not just because of all the groomer stuff, although we are going to get into it, um, but because this is a way, a key to thinking about all sorts of conflicts between the Republican Party and big business. The the crony capitalists and big tech and in Disney are, are 
declaring their intentions to act against the interests of the American people. DeSantis is acting against this. Um, I want to get into why that's good and why conservatives should support him. I'm Spencer Clavin, and this is The Liz Wheeler Show. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? And sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to reduced white blood cell count. Now that's bad because white blood cells obviously protect our body against illnesses and disease. They fight viruses, bacteria, and more. And not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so very important to our health. So a better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products from everything, from sleep to recovery. And today, you, my viewers and listeners, get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product, their dream powder, their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. I like it because it contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. It's triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. I'm talking 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. You just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, you stir it, you enjoy it 30 minutes before bedtime, then you can find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it is trusted by the world's top athletes like Danica Packer, Patrick and Baker Mayfield. And if you don't love it, you can get your money back, guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz. Use my promo code, though, at checkout. It is L-I-Z, my name, as always. That's B-E-A-M, organics.com slash Liz, and use my promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. So I'm very excited to be filling in for my friend, Liz, while she's out saving the world. She's fighting the good fight, talking to kids and uh, giving speeches. I am Spencer Clavin. As I mentioned at the top, I have another podcast, the Young Heretics podcast, uh, which is kind of about some of the same things that Liz talks about from a different angle. I cover the history, the long history of Western culture and the great works of Western civilization. Um, so especially as Liz has been talking to you guys about, you know, Gramsci and Horkheimer and the Frankfurt School and some of these Marxist ideologies that have made their way into uh, American philosophy and politics. Um, you know, I, I tend to cover kind of the long history of this going stretching way, way back into the ancient world and antiquity. So I'm excited to come on and do a guest episode of Liz's show because um, I think there's a lot that she's been talking about that, you know, we, we share some of these interests. And I want to explore for you the history and philosophy behind this conflict that is brewing between big business and the people in the person of their representatives, in this case, Ron DeSantis. So let's talk, first of all, about this Reedy Creek stuff, right? Um, in 1967, so long before DeSantis was governor, the Florida state legislature worked with Walt Disney World Company to create a special taxing district. So that's what he's inviting, or in fact, commanding, uh, in, in directing the legislature to look into. He's saying, you know, consider whether you want to revoke these privileges. But what are the privileges? So if you go on the Reedy Creek uh, district website. I'm just going to read to you the list that they have of, of things that Disney is allowed to do because when they came over to create 
Disney World, right? It was a potential driver of a lot of revenue, a lot of tourism. Um, and so the Florida government thought this was a, would be a good thing to invite Disney in um, and give them all sorts of privileges, right? So they have 134 miles of roadway and 67 miles of waterways to be built and maintained, 250,000 daily guests, uh, six to eight minute response time from fire department and EMS, 60,000 tons of waste managed, 30 tons of aluminum, paper, steel cans, cardboard, and plastic containers recycled every year, 90,000 analyses conducted to make sure the water quality meets or exceeds states and national standards, 2,000 vendor suppliers and contractors used to provide high-level public services for visitors. So this is their advertisement, right, of themselves as basically a little tiny autonomous community. Um, that is run with its own county government uh, that was given to them, again, so that they could do their own thing and basically create this little mini empire within Florida. And the idea was it would drive revenue and, and so on and so forth. Now, this is the kind of thing that not too long ago, the left would have gone berserk over. They, their heads would have been exploding um, if they had any principles, which currently the left really does not. And so you're not going to hear them, you know, getting all up in arms about this for the simple reason that they're interested in basically covering the interests of the LGBTQIA plus plus lobby and, you know, sort of ginning up outrage and, and disgust over the evil Ron DeSantis. Um, but let me read to you from a book by this guy, Rick Fogelsong. Again, before any of this came up, he, he wrote a book called Married to the Mouse about what this really means, that, that Disney has its own little fiefdom within, within Florida. Fogelsong writes, on the cost side, Disney World has generated traffic congestion, public facility deficits, affordable housing shortages, and a low-wage economy. These problems frequently accompany urban growth, but there is a complicating factor in the Disney Orlando case. For the Disney company got something special in coming to Florida, their own private government a sort of Vatican with mouse ears. So this is like, you know, how the Vatican in Rome is kind of its own separate government, right? A Vatican with mouse ears, with powers and immunities that exceeded nearby Orlando's. The entertainment titan was authorized, among other things, to regulate land use, provide police and fire services, build roads, lay sewer lines, license the manufacture and sale of alcoholic beverages, even to build an airport and a nuclear power plant. More, the Disney company never built and never planned to build the Epcot residential community that in their presentation to Florida lawmakers was the reason for their governmental powers in the first place. They wanted the powers of government, but not real residents who could challenge their managerial prerogatives. Told here for the first time is a nevertheless old Florida story of a big company that makes big promises to get concessions from government, then fails to keep its word. Now, it used to be the left that was wary, right, of big business and big business having influence over government. Now, of course, all the big businesses have been captured by woke interests. You know, the, not only Disney, but Twitter, Facebook, all the big tech companies. Um, you know, all these major CEOs have had to bend the knee to this new sort of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion mantra. Um, and so the left has completely fallen asleep on this. And it's the right that's starting to say, well, well, hold on, right? If you get your own mini government, right? And you ought to be, therefore, acting in the interests of the people. We brought you in here because we thought that you would benefit our state. And now we discover that actually you have an agenda that's totally against what parents in our state want, right? People in 
Florida and all over America during COVID saw what was going on in public schools and in children's education. And they freaked out because rightly so, you know, they were they were looking at things that were coming out of, you know, libs on TikTok and all all kinds of reports that were emerging from public schools on our dime. Teachers saying to kids, you know, boys can be girls. You, you place yourself along a spectrum, right? Look at the gender snow person. These are real things that are being taught in schools. And Disney has basically made clear that they are on the side of that agenda. And if that's the case, right, then why are we giving them their own fiefdom? Why are they, why are we turning them into this kind of papal carve out, right? Um, now, the reason I want to talk about this is because when you start saying these, these businesses are acting against the interests of the people um, and, and government should do something about it, when you start saying that, conservatives get a little antsy too. And why is that? Well, because conservatives want people to be free to make money. We believe you have a God-given right to your property. People should be free to form businesses and partnerships and form contracts. That's one of our sort of central pillars of our constitution. And so when, when government starts talking about things that sound like regulation, you say, oh, that's Marxism, right? That's, that's government picking favorites and intervening, right, in, in free enterprise, in the free market. Um, and so what I wanted to show here by bringing up this Disney thing is that a lot of the time when the right is getting antsy about this, um, it's actually not an effort to interfere with just free market enterprise, right? This is not something that just kind of grew up out of nowhere. These little, little garage startups, right, that uh, happened to make a product that was so great that everybody loved it, right? That is how the free market is supposed to work. And of course, you know, Disney and big tech make products that people like. But there's another side to this, and that this is what conservatives should be talking about, should be worried about. We shouldn't be afraid that it's Marxism to kind of interfere with this, because at this point, not only Disney, but Twitter, Google, Facebook, these are all massive corporate entities that have been buttressed by millions of dollars in government subsidies, tax carve-outs, congressional protection, right? They, I mean, it, it goes way further than, you know, people talk about Section 230. This is a section of the Communications Decency Act, which enables these guys like Twitter, for example, to act as platforms rather than publishers, right? They have permission to do things like kick people off their platforms, for example, the president of the United States, right? And they get certain privileges that come along with being a platform rather than a publisher, right? So that's sort of one thing that people talk about a lot. But let me just go into some of the other stuff um, that has been part of these, this partnership, right? This, this sort of crony capitalism on steroids between the American government, often the federal government, and big tech or big corporations like Disney, right? So going all the way back to the Cold War, right? When DARPA, uh, which began as the Advanced Research Project Agency, right? Um, was, was sort of working to beat the Soviets. That we had this idea that you could churn out these products, these, these technologies that were dual use, which is to say they give you guns and butter, right? You, you have something that works for the government, um, it's made in America, and then it also can be sold to benefit business and so on and so forth. Um, in, pr in principle, right, a fine idea, nothing wrong uh, with the government, you know, having an industrial policy, all of these things were, were instrumental in Reagan's, uh, you know, fight against the Soviet Union in the Cold War itself. Um, as this principle got sort of enshrined in government, however, you end up with companies that become kind of like little appendages of the government, or else at least the government contracts them out to do things that the government wants to do. So a great example of this is after September 11th, right? Um, they had, we had this thing called the Total Information Awareness Program. Um, the idea was that you were going to monitor and track potential terrorists, right? You'd be amazed at people out there who are domestic terrorists. We need to keep an eye on them. Um, but guess who was 
invited in to help build the total information awareness program and keep all of these tabs on Americans. Google to the tune of $2.07 million, right? And this is only the beginning of the government handing things to Google saying, you come in here, right, and, and, and help track Americans. Um, it's because we have an interest now in, in stopping terrorism. Um, and so you should be able to, I mean, all sorts of things that we now think of as kind of just the digital revolution. It's just, you know, these, these businesses making this great tech, right? All sorts of things have their origin in government subsidy and, and actual deals with the government for its own interests. It gives money to Google. This is how, you know, Google Street View, for example, the thing that they can just like beam a satellite down and see down to the level of the, the street, what's going on here. Um, you know, the, all of these things come from massive investments. And, and at, at this point, the government now invests close to $100 million a year in information technology. Now, I'm not saying that this is some kind of sinister conspiracy, right, that they kind of were trying to build this massive tech empire to keep tabs on you. But all of these things have externalities, right? They have consequences beyond just what the government is trying to do with them. And one thing that they do is they build up these corporations like Google, like Twitter, like Facebook into para-government entities. That is to say, para means alongside, right? So these are entities, companies that act as sort of little, little governments alongside our real government, which remember is elected, right? The whole point of America is that we choose our representatives. And when the government starts to delegate its job to private enterprise, then those enterprises no longer become private. They become little, you know, corporate wings of the state. And we've actually seen this in practice, not just in Disney kind of getting its own little government, but listen to the way that Jen Psaki talks about, you know, weaponizing uh, social media censorship to shut down views that the Biden administration doesn't like. I'm going to play you two clips now of Jen Psaki talking about co quote unquote COVID misinformation, right? So when, when uh, people are talking about the risks of the vaccine, when they're sharing things that, you know, maybe uh, that they have like one case where something went wrong. And it, it, again, it doesn't matter, you know, the truth or the falsehood of what these people are saying, because of course, misinformation, like all kinds of speech is protected under the first amendment, right? You can say false things. Um, under the First Amendment. That's allowed. It's part of the freedom of speech. If that doesn't exist, then freedom of speech is under threat. Here's Jen Psaki saying, uh, you know, how she and her administration, how Biden's administration, are targeting posts on Facebook for deletion and elimination. The false narrative that remains active out there about COVID-19 vaccines causing infertility, something we've seen out there flowing on the internet quite a bit in other places as well, which has been disproven time and time again. This is troubling, uh, but a persistent narrative that we and many have seen, and we want to know that the social media platforms are taking steps to address it. That is inaccurate, false information. If you are a parent, you would look at that information and that would naturally raise concerns, but it's inaccurate. Uh, and that is an example of the kind of information that we are flagging or raising. That we are the kind of information that we are flagging. She's saying this is false. It's misinformation. We don't want it out there. And we are flagging it to try and get companies like Facebook to do our dirty work for us. We can't shut people down. The First Amendment applies to the government. And therefore, we can't ourselves reach out and snuff these voices out of existence. And so we're reaching out to our para-government entities, right? We're trying to get these companies, which again, were built up over the years, not simply by their own endeavor, but also by government uh, favoring, right? By the government sort of giving them money to do stuff that the government wants them to do, right? And, and she is then saying, well, so now, you, you know, 
fair is fair. This is our deal. Like you need to cut out misinformation. Now, again, look, I'm pro COVID vaccine. Like I think you should be free to make your choice, but I think you should get it. And it's not, that's not the point, whether you're pro or anti COVID vaccine. The point is you have a right to share your opinion. And when the government is colluding with companies that they helped to build into massive monopolistic uh, businesses uh, in order to shut you up, that is a violation of your God given rights. Let's hear one more clip about how Saki thinks about this stuff. A couple of the steps that we have, um, you know, that could be constructive for the public health uh, of the country are uh, providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you are for uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. I don't know if you've ever heard the line, will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest? But this is a line that's attributed to Henry II, King of England, when he wanted to get rid of Thomas Beckett. Um, just, you know, somebody out there needs to do away with this guy, right? And of course, when the king says this, everybody leaps to attention. This is the way that they're talking now. It, what what we really should do, what these, what these companies that we helped build up should really do is keep a blacklist so that no matter where you go, no matter which uh, platform you try to go on, you can't get your dangerous, scary misinformation out there, right? These privileges and immunities and this money that was given to build these companies up was was offered to these companies because the government thought that they would act in the interests of the government. And in Florida, when Disney is breaking that trust, right, DeSantis is saying, no, you don't. We gave you these these privileges so that you would act in the interest of the people and the government serves the people. So the government can revoke those privileges if you are not acting in their interest. Now, Again, conservatives get antsy about this because we think that it's, you know, big government intervening in, in you know, the, the businesses. But these are not just plucky garage startups, right? These are not the little guy. So I want to talk now about the history of the corporation in the United States. And really, if we're going to be conservatives, go back to the first principles of the founding and ask, right, what should guide us when we think about how to fight back against companies like big tech or Disney? I don't know who needs to hear this, but here you go. You deserve to feel better than you do today, and you can with Headspace. They make meditation simple. If mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, then you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of relaxation in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Well, Headspace has a three-minute meditation for you. Maybe you need some help falling asleep. Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach reduces stress, improves sleep, boosts your focus, and increases your overall sense of well-being. You deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to my URL, which is headspace.com slash Liz. That's headspace.com slash L-I-Z for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditation for every situation you may encounter. This is the best deal offered right now. So head on over to headspace.com slash Liz. That's headspace.com slash Liz for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash Liz. So when we start talking about companies, right, and big business uh, colluding with big government, right, 
Um, we really have to ask ourselves as conservatives, what are our values? What are our principles and why, right? Why are we against regulation? Is it because we think that, you know, big business is always good? Well, no, it's because we believe in the inalienable right to property and the inalienable right to free association. So if you want to make a company, government can't stop you. And we still believe that. It's not like we're abandoning those principles, Um, but we need to go back to the origin of them to think about, you know, what do we do when companies are not just making free associations amongst themselves, but are basically making backroom deals with the government to become kind of secondary governments? And this is actually one of the central issues um, in British law leading up to the American Revolution. So luckily, we have a case study that we can talk about to really think through what our principles are here. And I'm talking about the East India Trading Company. If you remember your American Revolutionary history, you will recall this was a big part of the American Revolution. The East India Trading Company had been given a monopoly by the sovereign um, to, among other things, to do trade with India um, and to and to bringing back tea from China and all of this stuff. And the taxes that were coming in on tea were one of the points of contention in the American Revolution. But even, you know, outside of America, there was this fight going on about whether the East India Trading Company had too much power. Now, at this point, uh, a corporation, right, is, is something that applies as a word that applies only to a kind of grant that you get from the sovereign. So you petition the government um, to become a corporation and the sovereign effectively turns your corporation into a legal person. I don't know if you remember back in uh, 2009, 2010, um, this will make some of you feel old. I was 20 when this was happening. Maybe some of you will feel young about that. But back in 2009, 2010, the Supreme Court was making this decision in Citizens United, a very famous case about, you know, how much money corporations can give uh, to political how, how political uh, donations on the part of corporations. And the whole question was, are corporations people, right? And, and we were arguing over, you know, to what extent are corporations people? And the answer to this question is, in part, founded on this idea that a corporation is a person according to a sort of legal fiction. So all human beings are naturally people. Um, and that, what that means is that we have rights and duties in the government, right? And this goes back even to before the American Revolution, but it's a central pillar of American government as well, right? You as a person, you have rights um, and you have duties and the government can also confer rights upon you um, over and above what you already have. So a corporation becomes a kind of person in that it can have corporate rights and duties. East India Trading Company, great example of this, right? Um, what happened when the East India Trading Company gained this monopoly over this vast region of the globe and over all of this wealth um, is that they started effectively to run the government of places like India, right? As the British Empire expanded and, and grew in its power, um, the, the East India Trading Company became a parastate organization. And somebody who was very concerned about this and who spoke out about it is a guy named Edmund Burke. Now, we talk about this guy a lot on Young Heretics, but you probably have heard of him. He was a big supporter, British supporter of the American Revolutionary War, um, a great uh, defender of, you know, the of of the rights of Englishmen, but also, you know, spoke out powerfully against the disaster that was the French Revolution, saw it coming way before anybody else, um, really one of the great statesmen of his time or any time. Um, and he spoke out about this 
problem that was happening where this this corporation, this sort of uh, legal person had been endowed with power from the sovereign and was now using power as a sovereign, had become basically its own little government. Um, so let me let me read to you from a speech that uh, Burke made in Parliament when he was trying, he, he uh, sort of collaborated with this other guy, Fox, and it's, you know, sometimes called the Fox Bill. Um, he was collaborating with this guy to try and rein in the power of the East India Company by appointing people in London who would basically supervise their management of, of India's government. So here's Burke. He says, I therefore freely admit to the East India Company their claim to exclude their fellow subjects from the commerce of half the globe. He's saying they, they're allowed to have monopoly. The, the uh, sovereign can grant that to them. I admit their claim to administer an annual territorial revenue of 7 million sterling, to command an army of 60,000 men, and to dispose under the control of a sovereign imperial discretion and with the due observance of the natural and local law of the lives and fortunes of 30 millions of their fellow creatures. All this they possess by charter and by acts of parliament, in my opinion, without a shadow of controversy. So he's saying absolutely the sovereign is able to, you know, grant the right to corporation, uh, to make corporations, East Indian Trading Company, so far, so good. He says, those who carry the rights and claims of the company the furthest do not contend for more than this. And all this I freely grant. But granting all this, they must grant to me in my turn that all political power which is set over men and that all privilege claimed or exercised in exclusion of them being wholly artificial and for so much a derogation from the natural equality of mankind at large ought to be some way or other exercised ultimately for their benefit. What he's saying here in plain terms, once the government confers privileges upon a corporation or indeed a person, they have entered into a deal with that person. And it's a kind of trust. They're, they're not just like conferring benefits on people because that would be pure corruption, right? That would be elevating some people um, above others uh, in, a, in an assault and an affront to natural equality. So he says, if this is true with regard to every species of political dominion and every description of commercial privilege, none of which can be original self-derived rights or grants for the mere private benefit of the holders, then such rights or privileges or whatever else you choose to call them are in the strictest sense a trust, and it is of the very essence of every trust to be rendered accountable, and even totally to cease when it substantially varies from the purposes for which alone it could have a lawful existence. He's saying the government gave you these powers. They were not granted to you by God. The government can take them away. This I conceive, sir, to be true of trusts of power vested in the highest hands and of as such seem to hold of no human creature. But about the application of this principle to subordinate derivative trusts, I do not see how a controversy can be maintained. To whom then would I make the East India Company accountable? Why? To Parliament, to be sure, to Parliament from whom their trust was derived. He's saying when the government gives special privileges to a company, they are not then just delegating governmental power to them. They are entering into a kind of deal. We will support you in this way. You will support the government, which in turn supports the people. Now, this is going to become a central pillar, right? One of the most important things in American political philosophy. And we have some differences here. So I want to explain kind of how this has developed so that you can see how these principles will play out in the here and now, right? In the Disney debate and the big tech debate. So, Burke makes that argument in 1783, shortly after the American Revolution. 
America, as always, right, carries forward the best of British tradition and develops it further for the flourishing and flowering of, of true freedom um, and natural rights. And one of the ways that this has been true is that in America, there has been a long history of developing the idea of the corporation um, so that you can't just enter into these corrupt deals where people are the, the state kind of gives power to corporations and then they go off and act like their own little governments. This was a major point of dispute between um, James Madison and Alexander Hamilton, two founding fathers. Right? Hamilton wanted a federal bank. Um, Madison was arguing against him. And one of the things he said um, in Congress, right, is that when the government gives powers to a corporation, he says, the powers proposed to be given are such as do not exist antecedent to the existence of the corporation. So understand the distinction here, right? In America, we believe that certain rights are granted to people, to you and me, by our creator, that is by God, right? The rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the rights in the Bill of Rights, and many more besides those, right, are given to you by God as his creation. Um, because he is your creator, he gives them to you. That means no government can take them away. Governments can protect them and exist, ideally, to protect your rights, but no government can take them away. That is very, very different from extra rights, which the government might give to something like a corporation, privileges that they have over and above those natural rights, um, which come from the government. What the government gives, the government can take away. What God gives, no government can take away. Your right to freedom of speech is given to you by God and protected by government. Twitter's right to censor people and, and Google's power to keep track of every individual American and all their data was not given to them by God. My right to free speech is more important. It comes from on high. Governments are ordained only by the people, right? Governments are elected by the people so that they can confer extra privileges if it's in their interest. And of course, one of the things that happens is that corruption does exist, right? And when you incorporate people, uh, companies, and give them these special powers, it's very, very easy for these backroom deals like the one that Saki seems to be making with, or, you know, is sort of making openly rather with, with Facebook and, and with big tech, right? It's very easy for these things to come into being. Over the course of the 19th century, this problem was addressed. This is why we moved from what's called special incorporation to general incorporation. So special incorporations where the sovereign right endows or the government endows a particular corporation with a specific deal, right, makes a particular deal with them. General incorporation means that there are one, there's one set of rules for everybody. So states throughout the 19th century, over the course of the 1800s, moved to this system. There's one set of rules for everybody. Everybody knows how you become a corporation. Um, and that means, right, that you're not going to be entering into these special deals. There's a way to move away from that corruption, right? General incorporation means you're not going to have East India trading company type deals anymore. And that is why, for example, DeSantis has said, right, I'm not going to take away any uh, tax breaks that Disney has that any other company could have. The point of all this is everybody plays by the same rules, right? It's just, everybody knows what the rules are. We agree on them. And the government's not going to have any special favorites. When the government starts picking favorites, when it starts making these specific deals over and above general incorporation, we're moving back toward a special incorporation kind of situation um, like the East India Trading Company. That is why I said it is crony capitalism on steroids, right? It's government kind of pulling different corporations aside, building them up into these enormous parastate entities, um, and in some cases, giving them the power to snuff out views that you are allowed to express because you were given those rights 
by God. There is nothing that says in the Constitution or in the heavens or in the earth, right, that Google and uh, Facebook and Twitter or Disney or whatever um, get to be granted these powers from the government to snuff out your First Amendment rights. That is why DeSantis is completely right, completely right to be saying, we gave you these privileges, Disney. We can revoke them if you're not acting in the interests of the people. I hope that's a helpful answer to the legitimate question that conservatives have, which is, well, should we really be meddling with with businesses? We have no right. The government has no right to take away people's uh, freedom of association or freedom uh, right to their property. Right. Those are those rights are given by God. But privileges that the government confers, the government can take away for reasons of the people's interest. Now, let's talk about what are the people's interests. And to do that, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of Western philosophy with Plato and Aristotle. So how did you sleep last night? If you answered my question, not so great, or just okay, or please don't ask, well, you are not alone. One out of every three Americans report being sleep deprived. And your sheets could be part of the problem. That's why I like cozy earth sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. The solution, my friends, is cozy earth sheets. They are the softest most luxurious and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud. I have them on my bed right now. It makes sense that it feels like sleeping on a cloud because they're made from bamboo, which allows Cozy Earth sheets to breathe so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. Cozy Earth even offers a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, try it out. If you are not completely in love, you can just send it back for a full refund. Right now, you can get... 35%, you can save 35% on Cozy Earth bamboo bedding, 35% if you go to my URL, that's CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. You have to hurry because this offer ends soon. It's CozyEarth.com slash L-I-Z-3-5. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35, and you can save 35% on Cozy Earth bamboo bedding. It is a deal you do not want to pass up. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. So now that we've established that somebody like DeSantis, an elected representative of the people, has the right, right, to take away privileges that the government confers in the interests of the people, I want to go back to really deep level foundational philosophy here and ask, what are the interests of the people? And this is the kind of stuff that we talk about on Young Heretics. I mentioned, right, that this is the, the show where I go into, you know, the history of Western philosophy and literature. We talk about the great works of the West without any identity politics nonsense. Um, and we're working, in fact, on some Plato. We're talking about Plato right now over at Young Heretics. It's relevant to a lot of the stuff that Liz has been talking about with the Frankfurt School. Um, and so if you want to come join us, I really hope you will check it out at Young heretics.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, This sort of thing, the deep level principle, um, the the wisdom that comes down to us through the traditions of the West is what we talk about on Young Heretics. I want to bring some of that to you now as it relates to this Disney controversy, right? So why is it that Disney um, is acting against the interests of the people when they say things like, we want to have, you know, as many as 50% LGBTQIA++ characters in our in our stories, right? Why why are they acting against the interests of the people when they say that, you know, they, they support teachers talking to little kids about trans surgeries or transgender issues at all without the consent of their parents and sometimes explicitly against the will of their parents, right? Why why is that so evil and so wrong? Well, 
One of the things that we know and have known forever about children, right, is that they are highly impressionable and that the things that they hear about and learn in early life um, shape them and shape their souls for the rest of their lives. And it is the parent's job and the parent's right, right, to be in that delicate conversation with their child. If you give your child to a teacher, right, to teach them, you are again conferring upon them a certain degree of trust. That right to teach them comes from you and is given to the teacher. It does not come from God to the teacher, right? You are giving your kids over to the public school teachers or to whatever system you're sending them to, right? And you're saying, please act as my delegate here, right? Be the person and, and you are within your rights. You're entitled to do that because you have the right to teach your child and to raise them and to shape their souls. That was, that right was given to you by God. Now, when these people, you know, take your kids away or when they pipe their ideology into your TV set, right? They are effectively trying to counter message and counter signal what you might want to teach them. Again, it's not about, you know, you may be perfectly okay with gay people. I am. I mean, you might you might have no objection to your kid eventually at an appropriate age growing up to learn that there are some people out there in the world who are gay or maybe not. Right. Maybe you believe that being gay is a sin and you want your kid to hear that from you. You want them not to be, you know, whatever. Certainly, I think we should all agree that kids ought not to be taught that, like, you know, there's no such thing as gender. Everything exists on a spectrum and you can take hormones to stop puberty. Right. And you can transform your body or whatever. But which views you hold is actually less important here than the principle, right, about how kids' minds are being shaped. You have the right to determine that just like you can tell your kids, you know, what movies they can and can't watch. Um, and why is this so important? Well, I want to read to you now from uh, a couple passages, one of which is from Plato's Laws. So Plato, right, one of the great uh, philosophers ever um, from uh, ancient Greece, right, in, in Athens, 4th century BC, um, student of Socrates, really the, the forefather of all our Western philosophy. Um, and he writes near the end of his career this this work called The Laws, which is kind of a an update, really, to the republic in which he imagined the perfect state. Um, and in the laws, it's it's not the perfect state because that can never happen on Earth, um, but it's the second best state. It's like, what would the, the government look like if real people lived in it? You know, to take their flaws into account. And one of the things that the Athenian, who's kind of the main talker, says is that kids have this natural connection to art. Um, we see this all the time. Kids love music, right? That you can calm them with lullabies. And he observes this, Plato does, through the Athenian. Here's, here's what he says. He says, inasmuch as choric performances, that is singing and dancing, right, are representations of character exhibited in actions and circumstances of every kind in which the several performers enact their parts by habit and imitative art, Whenever the choric performances are congenial to them in point of diction, tune, or other features, whether from natural bent or from habit or from these causes combined, then these performers invariably delight in such performances and extol them as excellent, whereas those who find them repugnant to their nature, disposition, or habits cannot possibly delight in them or praise them, but call them bad. And when men are right in their natural tastes, but wrong in those acquired by habituation, or right in the latter, but wrong in the former, then by their expressions of praise, they convey the opposite of their real sentiments. For whereas they say of a performance that it is pleasant but bad, and feel ashamed to indulge in such bodily notions before men whose wisdom they respect, or sing such songs, um, they really take delight in them in private. 
what does all of this mean, right? One of the great things about studying these ancient texts is that at first you sort of think like, this is beyond me, it's it's too complicated, right? Um, or perhaps it's just from so long ago that it doesn't matter. But actually they're talking about things that are completely relevant and deeply human, right? Things that we still live with today. When you have little kids, right, what's the thing that you do before you can reason with them, before you can say like, well, you know, fair is fair and you ought to do this or that, before any of that, you tell them stories and you sing them songs. We have a natural human connection to art because art is how we express what's in our hearts, right? It's not just, you know, the things that we can argue for, or the things that we see in the world, but the way that we express our emotions, right? Our dreams, our desires, um, all the things that make us human. And so when we put those things into stories, into fairy tales, into myths, we're communicating certain values about the world. So for example, when Prince Charming fights the dragon and saves the damsel, right? We're showing that heroism and courage are good, right? That that uh, marriage between a man and a woman is a beautiful thing that needs to be fought for and protected. Um, all of these values that we communicate through story go deep into the soul. Plato at one point talks about it. It's like you're funneling this stuff into your soul through your ears. Um, and so when a company like Disney, right, which tells these stories, which is in the business, right, of training the souls of children by telling them fairy tales and stories that are seen by millions of people around the country and all over the world, right, when they say that they want the world to look a certain way, they mean that they want it to look that way to your kids and that your kids are going to have their soul shape. This is why we call them groomers, right? It's not because like, you know, it's not because gay people are inherently groomers. It's because these people are intent upon shaping the psyches of your kids and prepping them to think about sex and to think about genders in certain kinds of ways, ways that you don't want, or even ways that you haven't pre-approved, right? And so, you as a parent have every right to say Disney is trying to infiltrate just like these teachers that are talking about trans surgeries to kindergartners, right? Um, you have a right to say, I don't want my child to have his psyche molded in this way, right? This is a, a big part of what education is all about. Here's Aristotle, Plato's student, and he's talking about music too, right? He says, we must examine this is in his work, The Politics, book eight. Uh, it is not the case that although this has come about, yet the nature of music is more honorable than corresponds with the employment of it. Mention that it's just for pleasure, right? Um, and it is proper not only to participate in the common pleasure that springs from it, which is perceptible to everybody, but to see if its influence reaches also in a manner to the character and to the soul. And this would clearly be the case if we are affected in our characters in a certain manner by it. But it is clear that we are affected in a certain manner, both by many other kinds of music and not least by the melodies of Olympus, for these admittedly make our souls enthusiastic and enthusiasm is an affection of the character of the soul, right? Um, and since it is the case that music is one of the things that give pleasure and that virtue has to do with feeling delight and love and hatred rightly, there is obviously nothing that is more needful to learn and become habituated to than to judge correctly and delight in virtuous characters and noble actions. We get this so wrong when we say that, like, you know, education is just about math or whatever. Um, it is about math. You should learn facts in school. But you are also being trained, right, in ethical attitudes, things that you love, things that you hate. You're being trained to love the good, ideally, and to hate evil. And when a company, again, when a company like Disney says we want to tell your children stories that show them the world a certain way. It's not like they're, just, they're not just telling you like, oh, gay people exist or, oh, there's such a thing as trans, right? What they're saying is like, we want to show this as good and we want to instill this in the impressionable minds of children. 
There is no right that they have from God to do that. You have every right to shield your children from that. And the government, which has privileged these companies and granted them immunities that did not come to them from God, but were given by the government, the government, which is your representative, which serves you because you are an American, has every right to take those privileges away. We are in a fight, not just over this or that, you know, minor redistricting concern or whatever, you know, you hear DeSantis saying in, in his, uh, in his press releases, we are in a fight over the soul of America. And in that fight, it matters what we teach our kids. It matters what stories they learn, what they see growing up, right? The, the, the kinds of things that they read will shape their souls forever. You as a parent are the sacred guardian of that. And the government as your servant has a role to play in making sure that no parastate entity can swoop in and, and infiltrate your children's psyche and, and cancel out your God-given Right. I hope that this has been clarifying because we can't just keep being afraid of any kind of intervention, right? No regulation, no big business, no big government interfering with business, right? Of course, of course, people have the right to make businesses. People have the right to their property. All we're not challenging any of that. We're just saying, why are we in favor of business? Is it because we want people to get as rich as possible and to form parastate entities? Or is it because we believe in God given rights among which are life liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the freedom of speech, and the right of parents to raise their children as they see fit. That's conservative. That's what we defend. And everything else, right, everything else they throw at you is just noise and distraction. I'm Spencer Clavin. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Thanks for listening. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.